Hello, everybody. Um, this is Charlie. Um, what is it? August 29th, 2018. This is my uh, podcast number 27. I know that because I looked back at 26 of them today to just see what I've covered and uh, put some dates on each of them, which somebody suggested in their feedback to me. Um, and I'm in the usual place in Northampton, Massachusetts. And uh, looking forward to talking to you today. I hope you've had good summers, um, even with all of the events that must have come up for you. Um, all right. Where are we? Um, I want to make a preliminary comment <clears throat> and then jump into where we are. Where we are is going to be uh, now to teach, talk about, provide examples of the distress tolerance skills, skills from the distress tolerance module in DBT. And within that larger category of distress tolerance, as I'll get back to in a few minutes, uh, today I'm going to go over the crisis survival strategies, crisis survival skills, which is sort of one half of what this module has to offer. Um, and um, obviously, those of you who listened uh, the last few weeks at all, you uh, it, and I'm continuing to uh, to fail to follow through with teaching all DBT skills in one hour. Um, so I'm I'm just I've let that go, uh, but just want to acknowledge that again for those who may have listened to several weeks ago and thought, oh, that's what he's going to do. That just seemed to me to be uh, ridiculous. <laughs> oh, God, did you ever do anything like that where you just think, I'm going to do this thing, and you get all wired about it, and then you look back on it even right afterwards and say, that was so crazy. Um, however, the um, comment that I want to make first is uh, to, and this is for people who don't know a thing about dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, who are listening, as well as people who know a lot about it and who are all going to know already, I think, what I'm, understand what I'm saying. Because what I want to say is that, you know, what I think's been so fabulous about DBT and such an incredible contribution by Marshall Linehan to put together this whole package, package of packages, um, is that it really can, if you really take it seriously and you go into it truly participating, trying to make it uh, yours, uh, it's easy to go through it and not do that and then just feel, ah, well, it's just blah, blah, blah. It's another thing. But if you really take it on and take on the various skills and strategies and the principles involved in this treatment, I think it is one version, one way in the world of really deepening your life, really getting more engaged in your life, really uh, enhancing your appreciation and gratitude, your intimacy in relationships. Um, geez, I mean, it's like a tonic. Um, I sound crazy. I sound like uh, the guy in uh, The Wizard of Oz at the beginning that's trying to sell snake oil, basically. Um, I don't think of it that way, but then... Probably people who sell snake oil don't either. But I really think it can be helpful. I've seen it so many times. 
And you know, it isn't. Uh, it's 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 partly because of it just focuses relentlessly on helping to regulate emotions. And emotions are such a powerful influence on everything else. It helps you to smooth the rough edges of your emotional life and to reduce pain and reduce suffering and to get through very choppy waters of emotion uh, with less damage than maybe has been happening. Um, However, uh, and by the way, and, and you know, it's so it's a great package for treatment, but as the embodied in this podcast, and I'm not the only person who does this or thinks this, uh, you know, you can apply this to your everyday life, these skills and strategies, the greatest challenges of your life as well as an ordinary day. Um, but one of the problems in doing that, unless you've deeply studied it and used it, taken part in treatment or whatever, is that it's so dense and thick and so complex and loaded with so many possible skills. It's really like, it's a huge thing. Um, and this is great in one respect because it gives you so many options, some of which are very concrete and, and practical and some of which are very deep uh, for dealing with your life. Um, but given that it's such a huge package, so many things, um, it it requires some organization and simplification for you to really make practical use of it. So I want to give a, per, a simplified framework. It's been implied or it's woven into previous podcasts and things, but I just want to make it clear right now. I was just thinking it coming off of my own vacation and coming back to this. I just want to make this real clear. If you want to use this whole package with all the skills that are there and the ones I'll be covering in this and future podcasts, you might think in the following way that instead of thinking of so many things you could do, think of three things. And those three things are three directions. And each direction has a multitude of things that you can do. Direction number one is acceptance, which I've talked a lot about uh, if you went back to all the podcasts. Um, you can recognize what's going on in you and around you. Uh, you can recognize it and accept that it is what it is, that it is reality and accept it with all of your being. And that in itself is a huge thing to do because usually we're rejecting a certain significant percentage of what's coming in to our consciousness, um, minimizing it, ignoring it, denying it, rejecting it, uh, arguing against it. But it really, so one huge set of good skills and strategies have to do with really being accurate in seeing what's going on and uh and accepting that it is what it is whatever your feelings are where whatever whether you agree with it at all second you can go in the direction of changing things you can try to change things solve things fix things that are coming at you from inside yourself or coming at you from outside yourself you can try to change your emotions your thoughts. You can try to change your bo body's physiology. You can try to change your actions. And you can try to change people and things in your surroundings uh, to get closer to what might be better for you. So all of those are possible. And you can go back and forth between uh, a range of accepting things, a range of ways to change things. And lots of the skills are those things. And then there's the third direction, 
because you need a third direction because you could use direction one and direction two and still run into a brick wall. And things are not changing. Things are not changing. It's in the nature of some things to appear not to be changing, even if subtly they are changing because nothing can stay the same. Um, and it's the direction of dialectics, which I've talked about in a couple of the podcasts, is that when you're stuck, when you hit a brick wall, when you have a log jam in a river, uh, you can use a wide uh, and, and creative range of ways to combine elements of acceptance and elements of change uh, in ways that are improvised and maybe even haven't been done before that are suited to your exact situation. And they're really not for long-term improvement of anything. It's just to shake things up, to turn things around, to reframe things, to think outside the box, uh, to find new perspective, and to find ways to break the log jams of life. And, and, and that usually is some sort of uh, interconnected thing you do between acceptance and change. It could involve a metaphor. It could involve taking things further than you've ever taken them before or just acting in the opposite way you've ever handled something before and seeing how it changes everything. Okay? So those three things. Like, for example, and before we get to this module today, let's say you're planning your next, <laughs> as if you do this every day, your next swim across the English Channel, your next swim from uh, Cuba to Florida, or from uh, Australia to New Zealand, or across the Arctic, or across the Antarctic Ocean, and you um, and you need coping strategies. You'll and people have done all of these things. I haven't done any of these things. <laughs> Most of you haven't, though. I just saw in the newspaper yesterday that a young woman from uh, the, our local high school completed the English Channel over the summer, which is quite something. But you need major coping strategies, some of which are involved in DBT and some of which are specific to uh, swimming in those types of settings. So what do you need? Acceptance. You need acceptance of the kind I'm saying. Of course, I'm not saying this to prepare you for your next swim, but to analogize that your life is a long swim with all kinds of challenges. It's a journey. So what do you need? You need to be able to recognize and accept the accurate version of the realities that you're facing. You need to be in some settings to accept the existence of stinging jellyfish, of ice cold water, of sharks that are swimming around, of the sludge and trash that's in the oceans. Um, <clears throat> you need to recognize, accept a difficult currents, um, you need to recognize and accept coming from inside yourself that you're going to have episodes of panic, of despair, of loss of orientation, of getting confused, perhaps even psychotic, um, feeling hopeless that you'll never make it, wondering if you're going in the right direction or the wrong direction. You know, all of these things, um, if you don't accept them, uh, you can still encounter them and you'll do something with them. But you just have a better chance if you can accept the existence of these things, whether you like them or not. And you have to have a lot of change strategies. Having recognized the presence of these various things 
and having accepted them as realities in your journey on, in life and your swim, you need to have strategies to navigate them, to solve them, to change them as you go along. You need to know how to deal with stinging jellyfish if they're going to be in the waters like they are between Florida and Cuba. And you need to uh, know sharks and how sharks function and how you're going to interact with sharks in order to preserve your life and what to do about the freezing cold water, what you're going to dress uh, with and, and how are you going to cope with it uh, in various ways and the currents that come and take you way off course. Um, what are you going to do when you run into major sludge and, tra- and trash in the ocean and, and how are you going to cope when you're out there in life in the middle of the water to deal with despair because it's going to be there. It's just like not a, it's just a given. And there's going to be hopelessness. And there's going to be exhilaration sometimes, which actually could, could lead itself to trouble. But you want to hold it and be thoughtful about it. And how do you deal with complete fatigue? Um, all these things, you need to be able to try to change these things, reframe these things, have ways around these things. And then dialectics, when these strategies don't work and you are still in despair or you are still disoriented or you are still confused or you're still tired and you've decided you have to give up, um, maybe even need to drown, then you need to, if these acceptance and change things that you know aren't working, you might need to think beyond the box and come up with some improvised strategies to cope with certain very, very tough and maybe unpredictable conditions in life. I mean, just think about it. You must have gotten into relationships, I certainly have, where I never expected, I couldn't have planned in a million years certain dilemmas that I was going to face in certain relationships in my life. Um, and uh, so you have to come up with new, uh, new ways to combine the, the strategies, okay? So I just wanted to say, all of that and to say that uh, I just want to convey uh, <laughs> gratitude that I've heard from a lot of you now. I'm actually getting feedback and I love it and, and it's a variety of different kinds and some of it's very personal and interesting and meaningful to me and it just gives me a sense that you are who you are all out there you, that I can't see and I can't hear. But it helps me to envision or experience an audience. And insofar as I can do that, I have great sympathy for the challenges and the, uh, and the uh, conditions that you navigate. Um, and so let's move on. I want to talk about a different package of skills and strategies. I've talked about uh, the mindfulness ones uh, two podcasts ago. If you're counting, it was podcast number 25 really went over wise mind and six skills to get to wise mind uh, to help with balance and help with strengthening your attention and your acceptance of things and your awareness of things and all of those things that I would say I would call the core of the core of coping with life. It's just, you know, these are like the, uh, the core musculature that people in Pilates and lots of other types of exercise are strengthening so that everything else goes better. So I really want to urge you to keep focusing. There's only six of them, and you can use them in so many ways. Um, now, the ones for now 
are the crisis survival strategies of distress tolerance. Now, why is it just a subset of distress tolerance? Well, because the distress tolerance module is a brilliant module that includes a sets, a, uh, it includes all kinds of ways to tolerate and work with distress. And that distress, if you were on a zero to 10 scale, could be anywhere from one to 10. And there's a, there are a lot of reality acceptance strategies, which is going to be the other half of the module and which I'll pursue next, that you might use anywhere from zero up to seven uh, and not need the crisis survival strategies. Um, and I'll get into why later rather than waste time now because I'll be coming back to that topic of what do you do. But crisis survival strategies are when you're in a crisis. And that, by definition, almost means that you're probably up at a 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, even though learning these strategies helps you with other things, too. I mean, I've needed these skills, for instance, um, when I was recovering from back surgery and was out of my mind with pain when the pain medication would wear off every three and a half hours and I had to wait another half hour. And I needed every strategy in the universe that I could think of to not take my, uh, you know, my um, opiates early. Uh, I did not want to get addicted. And I also just, I, I just wanted to be willing to do things the way that people have learned is a better way to do things. So I really had to try and use a lot of distress tolerance when I was out of my mind and I had urges to do stupid things, and I did a couple of them, but I needed to have places I could go in my mind and things I could do without moving much. And these were really helpful. These are skills to act on, to use concretely, when you are on the verge of engaging in crisis behaviors that might ruin some aspect of your life. So if you have a, an addiction problem, uh, whether it's drugs or alcohol or addiction to some other types of activities, um, and you're trying to get them under control, you need these skills when you are experiencing yourself on the verge of using, buying, uh, drinking, and whatever it is. Uh, when you have an eating problem and you're on the, on the verge of binging because you're out of your mind with some set of feelings that you can't tolerate, even if it's boredom, or purging because you can't stand the feeling that you're going to get fat because of what you just ate, and yet you're trying to stop purging, or acting on violent feelings when somebody crosses your path and really arouses you in your most aggressive self, or just saying things impulsively to people. Um, things that are going to complicate your life, things that are going to haunt you, whether it's at work, or friendships, in an intimate relationship, these things come up literally regularly. These are not so rare, though they aren't all the time. And these skills are a package of skills for those periods so that you don't leave a job impulsively, so that you don't drive with road rage in a way that could damage your own life and someone else. And you don't drink when you're trying to not drink and when it's bad for you. Or, you're, or you don't enter into a relationship impulsively when you've gotten into a pattern of entering relationships impulsively and then they come back and, and you know, 
bite you later. Um, so it's all these things when you're at seven, eight, nine, ten out of ten, and you feel like, okay, I feel like doing this. I have to do this. I have to cut myself. Maybe I need to kill myself. Maybe I need to do this other behavior. And you realize you have enough mindfulness skills to be mindful of the fact that this is not a good idea, but you're on the verge of doing it, and heck, you might just do it. Um, so as my friend Cindy, who I talked to in a pre- I talked about in a previous podcast when I read a, a story I had written about our relationship and uh, my best friend and, and fellow DBT trainer, as she would call it uh, when we would teach together, that it's these skills of crisis survival strategies are the equivalent of tying a knot at the end of a rope. And when you're at the end of your rope, you can hang on to that knot so that you don't fall into whatever abyss you're about to fall into. So it's having a predetermined, prefabricated, practiced, rehearsed, freshened set of skills that really are the kind that you need for these situations so you can hang on and survive through this kind of crisis situation without doing things that are going to bring you more damage in the end. That's all these things are about. They are a specialized package. They are for those circumstances. They are not, even though they can help you in other ways, it would be a mistake and a mistaken understanding of DBT to think that the way you should live life is by using these skills as your first rank or order of, you know, things you do. Um, these are things that help you avoid feelings, curtail feelings, constrict feelings, block feelings, block actions. Uh, whereas, ultimately, if you succeed in using the whole package of DBT regularly, the goal would be to increasingly be able to flow, participate, feel your feelings, do things, express yourself, uh, think your thoughts. Um, but this package is kind of like a first aid kit that you'd carry with you in your backpack. You don't use your first aid kit all the time. Or let me, I just thought of another analogy. You know, seven months ago, I had hip replacement surgery. For many weeks afterwards, I used crutches, first two crutches, then one crutch, then a cane. And then I let that go, but actually within a couple weeks, it became clear I should get back on the crutches or the cane because I actually moved forward faster than I should have. I had the urge to move forward. I was finding it really hard to tolerate uh, what I was doing. I had not fully accepted just moving at the pace that I needed to move at, and I got myself in pain again. And so then that sort of set me back, and then I was back with the crutches. The crutches are the equivalent of the distress tolerance crisis survival strategies. You don't use crutches for your life. You use crutches when you need the crutches because if you don't use them, you're going to cause damage and make your life harder. So ultimately, crutches uh, and all of these skills I'm going to talk about are those things to use to make your life not end up harder. And it isn't to make you happier it isn't to make life deeper or richer. It isn't even to improve relationships necessarily. It is to survive a crisis where you are on the verge of doing 
ill-advised things. Okay? You got it. I'm sure you've got it. You've probably more than got it. You're probably thinking, Charlie, would you, for Christ's sake, move on? We know this stuff. All right. So I will. Um, Okay. There are six skills of crisis survival skills, or you might even say mini packages of skills, because some of them actually involve several smaller things to do. Um, These are short-term skills. These are things you do for a little while. Sometimes you do them and they help briefly, and then you, and then 30 seconds later or two minutes later, you need to do it again or do it in a different way or do a different crisis survival skill. In other words, these are not the kind of things that are going to affect, you know, that you can just keep doing and doing. They lead to a life of avoidance if you were doing that. But you just want to use them enough to get your seven, eight, nine, or ten out of ten down to three, four, five, or six out of ten so that you can survive and get back to life uh, as you were living it. They also are to help you sustain life as you're living it because maybe you're getting so mm, distressed that you decide, I'm not going to go to work today. And really the, the function of not going to work, because you could go to work, you could drag your butt in there, the thing that's got you not wanting to go to work is it would relieve your distress. And it certainly probably would if you're having a lot of distress. But maybe you also know that you've already missed a few times and that missing again jeopardizes your job or your reputation or whatever, your evaluations. So you really want to be able to continue your life. Well, these crisis survival strategies are the things for you that morning, literally, for five minutes for 30 minutes, whatever. Okay. All right. So, um, I'm just, I took, a, I put a few written notes here. I just, before I jump totally in, because I'm just going to run through these skills and tell you everything I know about them that I can within the time frame. And, um, mm-mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, I think I'm ready to go. There are six skills, and each of them has its own flavor. It's like six different flavors of ice cream. This is crisis survival ice cream. And so the first one is called stop. Now, every one of these is a way of addressing this kind of pressure in you, this intensity in you, this impulsivity in you, this drivenness in you to get relief from a crisis. And so these are ways to restrain yourself from doing damaging things and, and steer yourself to other things. So stop is, in a way, the most dramatic one of all. It's one that uh, is good because it does not require uh, doing much thinking at first. It's just you, you feel you are on the verge. You're on your way to trouble. You're about to place a phone call to somebody and you're really mad, and you're really defensive, and you really want to give this person a piece of your mind, and you know, if you stopped and thought about it, this could change the course of this relationship in a way that you may regret later. So you use the stop skill, which is actually a package of four things, S-T-O-P, each letter standing for one thing. So what's the S stand for? It stands for stop. Um, The idea here is that you literally, concretely say to yourself, stop, don't do that, don't go go that way. 
Uh, there are a lot of other phrases that we use for things like this, like hit the pause button, put things on pause, freeze, don't go one step further. You might say to yourself, put on the brakes, come on, put on the brakes, which is a good analogy for stop. You, you might use count to 10. Okay, come on. You know you have a hot head. You know you're about to act. You know you're about to make a certain move. You're not fully trusting this is a good idea. So what? You know what? Just stop. Just hold off. So the S stands for stop. And that really means that you either physically, you could actually represent this by moving forward towards something that you consider a representation of the bad move you're about to make. You could actually walk across a room, which I've done before, towards something and say, stop, and then just stop mid-room. Hold yourself there. And the second one is the T. Take a step back. So you can say to yourself, take a step back. Now, this might be more accurately captured uh, when I said uh, count to 10. Give yourself a time out. Take a step back. You're trying to create space for yourself before you continue forward on that path. That path might not be a good path. Um, and it helps you get unstuck from the trajectory that you're on that has such force to it. And you want to sort of take that step back or think of it in your mind as a step back, giving yourself time to think. Take a deep breath. <sighs> How many times, if you do that, has breathing saved your life uh, or saved the quality of your life? Breathing can be your best friend at these moments. Um, and you want to think at that point, okay, you, you don't have to move forward. You don't have to say what you're about to say. You can bite your tongue. I've said that to people, including friends, including myself, including patients of mine, where, I've, where they said, well, what should I do in that situation with my husband, with my wife, with my partner, with this boss of mine, when I just think, this is not right. And yet I'm afraid if I say something, it's really going to damage things. And, and, and so I don't know. I said, you know, I'm not sure either exactly what you should do, but you and I can figure it out. But you know what? For right now, here's my advice. Bite your tongue. Swallow your words. Turn away. Take a deep breath because this is a huge skill. Obviously, this is not how you want to live your life. But these moments call for a crisis intervention. The O in STOP stands for observe. And this is where you're kind of bringing in the mindfulness skills. You're allowing the space when you take a step back within which you can then use mindfulness of what is going on. You can pay attention to your thoughts, pay attention to your body, your sensations, your urges. You can pay attention to your environment. And anyway, you just sort of like take stock of things. I like to use the O in another way as well, to have it stand for options. You realize that if you stop and take stock of things, you actually have options. You can choose to go forward the way you were going, or you could alter your path. And the P is to proceed mindfully. You say to yourself, okay, now, if you're going to use mindfulness woven in with these skills, you would then say to yourself, well, what, what does my wise mind? If I can act, 
a- access or activate my wise mind, having now taken some breaths and having now tuned into myself, what should I do? What deeply should I do? Not what should I do, what's the right thing? But what really is the right, right thing, the deeper right thing for me to do? And then proceed. So the P stands for proceed mindfully. All right? So that's uh, flavor number one. Flavor number two is very interesting and very different. It is called the pros and cons, doing the pros and cons. And you might think of it this way, again, going back to reflecting on the mindfulness module, that you are bringing rational mind to bear on a highly emotional situation in order to move towards wise mind. You are bringing rational mind to bear. You are doing literally a paper and pencil logical exercise in order to interrupt the path that you're on in order to take a pause. So it isn't just hitting the pause button. You've hit the pause button, and now you're doing the pros and cons, which requires a few minutes of rational effort, after which whatever direction you go, you go. But this gives you a chance to reassess. I don't know. It's like once read about when the Challenger shuttle the, the blew up and killed all those people, the tragedy from many, many years ago happened. There were people, uh, I think, within NASA or without a, within a team of NASA that are the real engineers about exactly how the rocket is functioning or going to function, whether it's in good shape, that had had their doubts at the last minutes and they were freaking out and their voice was nixed at that point. I mean, and so um, because the whole enterprise was going to go ahead. It was sort of like the momentum was so strong. No, we're not going to interrupt the countdown. We're not going to interrupt the plans after everything's been laid out. We're going to go forward even though some really smart people here who have really studied this think this could be a catastrophe. And then they went forward. So the equivalent of this skill would have been to stop and maybe do the pros and cons of moving forward and do some other investigations. So the pros and cons really means that you're looking at the pros of going ahead and acting on impulse, acting on your intense feelings, like moving forward, cutting yourself, uh, making a suicide attempt, drinking, using drugs, uh, saying something that you think might be ill-advised, and all kinds of other, making a move at work that might not be a good idea, but it's based more on emotion mind. And so you're asking yourself, what are the pros of doing that? Usually the pros of doing that are that it, it follows through on the current urgency, and it sometimes helps to get rid of the urgency. It helps to get rid of the momentary pain as a short-term solution. It's just that it, it might do damage. So the pros of doing the pressured thing, uh, and then you ask yourself, what are the cons of doing the pressured thing? The cons usually have to do with long-term consequences of what you're about to do. Like it's a con, it's a disadvantage, because if you cut yourself now, when you're feeling like cutting yourself, and when you've been trying to not cut yourself, it will bring into uh, reality again another set of scars 
that you're already not that happy with. It will bring in, again, your sense of failure and loss of self-esteem, even if it gives emotional relief. It might bring into play the disappointment that other people have and that, that they are hurt when you do this because they care deeply about you and other things. So there are advantages to doing something like this and disadvantages every time. There's always advantages. They're in your brain. They're in your body. They're the things that are driving things forward. You have to think of, well, what are the disadvantages? And doing the pros and cons involves another step, which is to ask yourself, what would be the pros of restraining myself from acting on this urge? What would be the pros of resisting this and choosing some other direction? Um, And what would be the cons of that? And you may think that through doing this set of pros and cons, you're going to turn up the same pros and cons as you did with the first pros and cons you did. But actually, if you do it, if you've never done this before, work it out. Do, do it with something. And you're going to find it brings up different things, different perspectives, uh, sometimes literally different pros and cons. So it's worth doing all four things, the pros and cons of the crisis behavior and the pros and cons of re- resisting the crisis behavior and doing something else. The way that's, I mean, you can do it just the way I said it, but it's kind of neat and helps organize it if you literally do it uh, by making a box, uh, a square, and in that square you draw a, lo- a horizontal line and a vertical line so that you have four squares. And above the top, at the top of this little box, of this box, with boxes inside, uh, there's a column, there are two columns now, and over at the top of one column you write pros, and the top of the other column you write cons. And then down the left side, you've got two rows, and the top row you might put act on the crisis behavior, and for the other row you might say resist acting on the crisis behavior. And then you fill in each box and you take time doing it. You don't just rapidly fill it out. It actually requires creeping into the crevices of the situation and thinking, okay, I'm about ready to quit my job. It feels very pressured. I don't have another job lined up yet, but I cannot stand this. I can't tolerate it. I'm at nine out of 10 when I go to work at this job. Okay, let me do the pros and cons. And you obviously, pros of quitting the job are going to be obvious to you. I'll get the hell out of here. I won't have to put up with this boss one more day or these coworkers or these work conditions. They've gotten worse. I'm burnt out. Whatever it is, and this is going to give me a new opportunity. So you've got all these pros. And now the cons of quitting. I don't have another job lined up. Literally next week I won't have an income. Uh, I won't be able to go back to get a very good reference. I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to think out loud, right, what they would be. And then the pros of resisting this urge of quitting today. All right, pros of resisting the urge. Okay, I still have a job. Uh, I haven't acted impulsively, so I, I still have a chance to think about this some more. Uh, I'll feel better about myself, having been more deliberate about this. Uh, I won't have to tell all of these people that I quit a job and they're all going to be pissed off at me or upset with me, etc. 
And so those bring up a different set of uh, answers. And then the cons of resisting. Oh, then I have to go through another day of this job or however long it is, and there's no way out. I'm going to feel trapped, etc. So the pros and cons stops you for a while while you do this. Of course, you have to be willing to do this. The fact that you're willing to do this at all when you're feeling pressured towards doing something, already it already means that you're trying to put the brakes on. But this is something you can do after you do the stop skill as one of the options, which is to stop and really do a detailed pros and cons. And I'll tell you, in practical life, in practical terms, this is from my own experience myself as well as my patients, um, what you're really needing when you're about ready to be at the end of your rope, you're about ready to drop off the edge and you're about ready to act impulsively, what you really need is two of these four boxes. You need the box that is the pros of resisting. And you need the box that is the cons of acting impulsively. Those two boxes take stock more of the long-term consequences of behavior. And the other two boxes, the pros of crisis behavior and the cons of resisting, those are the two boxes that are reacting to um, the pressures of the moment and relieving the pressures of the moment. And so you've already got them going. They are driving your behavior, those, other, those latter two boxes. So what you really need is the details in those other two boxes, the ones that are going to get you to stop and think, you know. Stop and think, they basically say, and here's the things to think about. And so it's bringing rational considerations into an emotional situation. And hopefully you do this, and it doesn't give you a, uh, it doesn't spit out the answer but it does move you closer to a wise mind decision if you can do that, okay? Those are pros and cons. I invite you to consider trying it. None of these will work because I'm saying them. <laughs> they don't work for me. I mean, I've taught so many things over the years in these skills that I didn't 100% inhabit until a certain point years into it, some even recently. And then I find, oh, this only works when you inhabit it 100%. No wonder it has, I've taught it okay, but if you really want to make it work for yourself or someone else, you have to really inhabit the skill and realize this won't necessarily work the first time, the first try. It has to be one of these things I keep trying to do. Okay. All right, so do that one. Rehearse it. Rehearse how you would do it. Um, next, the next set of skills. Uh, number three, the tip skills, TIP. These are a really interesting set of skills, and they specifically address your body chemistry, your nervous system, your endocrinological system, your hypothalamic pituitary axis, your sympathetic nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system. It's how can you, in this moment, because you're at very high emotional arousal, how can you change your chemistry and it doesn't require like thinking things through it does require thinking through things enough to just do them but then you do them i gave you an example of this of using several of them in my in a in my last podcast number 26 
a detailed example with a person who was in my office and who was in a dissociative state, very kind of regressed and very um, just not her best self, let's just say, really caught uh, in a kind of a regressive flashback dissociative episode. And we did the tip skills and we figured one out that actually helped her. And it wasn't actually one of the four tip skills. Uh, but it fo- directly followed the four tip skills and was her own improvised version of one of these. So what are they? They, they are they, really the essential idea of these is you want to change your chemistry. Your chemistry, along with the rest of you, is moving in the direction of a crisis behavior. And so you want to shift it so that you can see the world from a different angle. Get off that edge. Um, okay. The common denominator of the tip skills is that they are changing the balance of force, the balance of activity between two different nervous systems inside you, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic being the fight-flight nervous system that is driving you towards a higher heart rate, rapid breathing, sometimes shallow breathing, uh, an urge to act, either to run away, to fight, or to freeze. And it's and it creates the feeling of anxiety and panic and terror. And when that is highly activated, you don't need to do anything to activate it further. You need to change the balance between that and the other one, the parallel parasympathetic nervous system which tends to slow down a heart rate slow down breathing slow down metabolism decrease anxiety calm things down it's like the uh, it's like sympathetic system is like hitting the gas and the parasympathetics is like hitting the brakes so this is how you hit the brakes T-I-P-P for reasons that I don't know Linehan did not make the uh, acronym BTIPP. She made it BTIP, but there's actually two P's. The T is temperature. You can change your chemistry by a certain intervention into your nervous system that's rather specific, and it's inherited from mammals in general. It's part of mammals in general. And it is that if you act, if you can bring cold temperature to a certain part of your body, which happens to be your face, your forehead, the area around your eyes, the upper part of your cheeks, that whole sort of upper half of your face, if you can bring cold to that for somewhere between 30 and 60 seconds, like tolerably cold, but definitely really cold. Um, it activates your parasympathetic system. Boom. It's as simple as that. It's like a knee-jerk reflex. And so if you can do that, it will activate your that system, including your vagus nerve, the large nerve that goes down to your heart and lungs. And, and so it can slow all of that down. And all the other things I said, slowing down your metabolism, making you calmer. So how do you bring cold to your face in that way well you could put a bunch of ice cubes in a plastic you know sealable 
baggy and hold that on those parts of your face. Not so long that you're going to damage your skin or cause yourself severe pain, but you should feel cold. It should feel cold and, and be, you know, semi-intolerable. Um, and just hold it there for, if you know, do 60 seconds. You might find that it doesn't need to be that long. And it rapidly activates it. it these are like fast skills. Um, doesn't require any thought. This just works and works fast. So... Uh, you can do it by holding these baggies. You and and by the way, it can help while you do this to hold your breath while you're putting cold on your face, and that really more matches the circumstance in which this was discovered, which was in mammals that are in the ocean, and that when they dive deep, the cold on them slows down their heart rate. Uh, slows down their consumption of oxygen, slows down their metabolism, and it allows them to stay down there longer. And so we want to not only mimic this by making cold on our face, which happens to be the very place that makes the difference, but also uh, holding our breath, uh, which might also help activate this. You could do it by having a bowl of ice-cold water, which may or may not include ice cubes floating around. I've done it this way. And put your and le and put that in front of you on a table, and lean over and put your face in it for 30 to 60 seconds while, of course, holding your breath. Um, it might work if you just splash really cold water in your face, though it's a little bit less uh, like. And then there's the best of all plan, I think, which is the uh, jet, the um, sort of like a cold packs, ice packs that you use for your uh, broken ankle or sprained ankle and and things like that. Okay, you can also use this with insomnia if your insomnia is driven by high sympathetic nervous system activity, anxiety, panic, worry, rumination. You might try this before you go to bed. Uh, and, you, and, and if you're dissociating, you might try this. What about the eye? The eye has to do with another thing that can rapidly help you, but it requires a more mm, dedicated activity at this point. So you have to see if you can get yourself to do this and drag yourself to do this, which is intense exercise. Rather than just going on the flow of being totally terrorized, discouraged, distressed, um, pressurized, intensely wanting to do something that's really a crisis behavior. Instead of doing those things, you say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop that and I'm going to do exercise. And the idea with exercise to start to engage your parasympathetic system and to reduce anxiety, reduce intensity of emotions and pressure, you need to do it for something like 20 minutes. And ideally, you do something aerobic that gets your heart up to something between 55 and 70% of what would be the maximum acceptable heart rate during exercise for someone your age, something like that. And you can look that, you could Google that, you can look that up, there are tables about that. You know, maybe you need to get your heart rate to 120. Maybe it's 140, depending what your resting heart rate is too. Um, so you wanna get it up and uh, for uh, an extended period, and that begins to uh, reduce anxiety, reduce negative intensity, and sometimes to increase positive emotions. 
All right, so you could do running in place. You could go for a run. You could do jumping jacks. You could sit on an exercycle, uh, etc. So all kinds of things like that. The, ne- the next two are P's, paced breathing and paired muscle relaxation. I'm going to get through paced breathing, and I might not get through the other. And by the way, you can find these things on the Internet if you know, want more detailed explanations in DBT skills or outside them. For instance, the paced breathing. You can go to the website of the DBT program in San Diego. It's called San Diego DBT. And uh, they have an expert in paced breathing there and other things in DBT, Milton, Milton Brown. And uh, they have done a nice write-up and video about paced breathing to do it right. But here's the idea, and it also activates parasympathetic, is that you want to gradually get your breathing speed, your pace of breathing, slowed, slowed, slowed down to five to six cycles per minute a cycle being a full in-breath and out-breath. And that adds up, if you count it by seconds, to 10 to 12 seconds per cycle. And you can get a clock or watch in front of you, your cell phone, whatever, so that you get yourself down to that pace. And there's one other component, is when you're down at that pace, you want your in-breath to be shorter and your out-breath to be extended at a kind of a one-thirds, two-thirds ratio. So if you're counting 12 seconds, for instance, of your uh, total cycle of breath, make four of those seconds your in-breath. Really take a vigorous in-breath and then a very slow out-breath. You might close your mouth and do it through your nose or just make a slight hole through at, at your mouth, purse your lips, and, and just let the air out very slowly. And do this for a good 10 minutes or so, and it will usually activate your parasympathetic system, right, and help you tolerate distress. The last one is paired muscle relaxation. And looks to me like I have one minute. So I'm just going to say briefly what this is, and this is where we'll pick up next time. Um, paired muscle relaxation is where you uh, tense the muscle groups in your body one group at a time, either starting from your feet and going up to your head or the other way around. But you tense one muscle group at a time. You might do your arms at the same time, your upper arms at the same time. Uh, it depends how much time you have. And you tense those groups while you're breathing in. So I might breathe in for four vigorous, I mean, a seconds of four, of four seconds of an in-breath that's vigorous while tensing a muscle group. And then let go. Breathe out slowly and say in your mind, relax, and just let your tense muscle groups relax, totally relax. And where is your mind, where is your attention? Hopefully entirely focused on the tension, and then entirely focused on the relaxation. And you do this again, and again, and again, and again. So you're pairing an exercise of sequential muscle relaxation through your body, with breathing in, breathing out in the way that I just talked about with paced breathing. Putting these together, when we, when we meet next time, or when I talk next time, <laughs> now I'm thinking we're meeting because I've heard from more of you, um, I can, I'll talk to you about 
uh, something else you can do while you're doing the paired relaxation that can help you with some negative thoughts. And then we're moving on to the rest of the crisis survival strategies, which we will cover next time. And then we'll move on to the reality acceptance package, okay? I hope you all have a good week. I will be doing this again next week, okay? Bye-bye.